It's great to, great to be here um, sharing with you guys today. Um, we're in the third Sunday of Advent today. Um, we've been going through this Christmas Advent season and just staring into the face of Jesus. That's been the thing that he's been calling us to as a church this Christmas was just come face to face with him to look past some of that nice fluffy stuff and just gaze into his face. And to take lessons from that that we can then take into 2020. So the big idea today, and there's quite a chunk in this, but the big idea today is that Christmas, that in Christmas we discover a deep wellspring of joy. More than an emotion, but a joy that no matter what the desert we may be in, our circumstances don't stop this fullness of joy bursting forth in our lives and from our lives. That in Christmas there is a joy, not just of just happiness, but this deep joy. So guys, I'm going to tell you a story which will let you into a little bit about my background and the um, fickle consumer I was as a child. So when I was growing up, the thing for me, I just remember this incredible excitement around Christmas time. This like, this amazing happiness, this amazing joy of Christmas. The night before Christmas, I was set to burst, okay? I was literally about to head pop off. Why? Because for the whole run up up to there, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and all the TV companies and their advertising had built me up to just be this, oh my goodness, the presents on Christmas Day. I can't wait to have it. I had this itch that just had to be scratched. It was just incredible. The presents, the thought of these presents. Because you see, for me, I had to wait until Christmas Day afternoon, after lunch, until, until uh, we'd had our Christmas meal before I'd open my presents. And in the days running up to Christmas, I would sit, if anyone's seen Lord of the Rings, it's like Gollum, sat underneath the Christmas tree, stroking the presents, feeling the presents, being like, ah, like this. It got so bad that my parents had to instigate a, a, uh, a special tradition in our family, which is I get one present on Christmas Eve, just so I don't stay awake all Christmas night. And like, just to kind of sate that thirst in me, my goggly eyes. What was I wishing on Christmas Eve? that we were German, because they actually do it all on Christmas Eve, don't they? They open all their presents on Christmas Eve. No, I wasn't really. And then there was the glass of sherry, the mince pie that we put out for Santa. As a child, I was slightly worried about how much alcohol Santa drank, because the sherry was always gone. The mince pie, not always. And so, <clears throat> Christmas morning came. The excitement, the fit to bursting, like that flowing over with joy at the day ahead. You know, for me, as a child born into like consumerist Britain at the time, it was this joy of the presence, this joy of stuff that wouldn't last too long that I probably didn't really need. For others, you know, it's joy of family, Joy of friends being together, which is great. For some, it's the food, the feast, the Christmas feast, coming together, eating all these amazing foods. And all of those things are awesome, and I love them, and they, bring, they do bring great joy in that joyful happiness kind of sense and bring great wonder. But these things can't match 
the true joy that we have to discover and distinguish that we discover in Christmas. See, Christmas tells of the ultimate joy, the greatest gift. Tells of the beginning of a new family. Tells of the coming of one whose body would become a feast for us of eternal life. It was a baby born in a stable through whom this fullness of joy, this completeness of joy would come into the world. So today, guys, what we're doing is we're going to be challenging our joy and asking where does it come from? What do we see joy as in our life and where is the source of our joy? Where is the source of your joy? So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to insert, let's come up on the screen. First John 1, 1 to 4. See, this is a, a Christmas verse, but often not seen as a Christmas verse. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen, and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ we write this to make our joy complete i.e the joy comes from this but the fullness of their joy is when they're joining in with them in that see why is the joy of christmas more than the fleeting joy of presence let's talk about christmas joy and there's three points that i'm going to go through today first salvation by grace Salvation by grace. Don't let it be so common that we forget or that, it, that we have an assurance from it, but we don't let it penetrate the wellspring of joy in our lives. This is the great joy of Christmas, that Jesus is eternal life. In 1 John 1 that we just read, sorry, in, in John 1, 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember, Jesus is the Word. He was with God in the beginning. The Word is God. Jesus is God. In, in 1 John 1, 2 that we just read, refers to Jesus as the Word of life and as the eternal life. So um, that second verse here, the life appeared. The life appears, speaking of Jesus. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. We proclaim to you the eternal life. They're calling Jesus the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. See, Jesus Christ, that little baby that is coming into the world, was not coming to offer eternal life as a reward for following him. He is eternal life. You know, all other faiths speak about eternal life in different ways. But very often, it's a reward for following the faith. Being, a good, being good enough, following the rules. Christianity is totally different. See, 
Christianity says things like we need to be buried in Christ, that we need to be covered with Christ, that we are, that we are hidden in Christ, that we're filled with Christ because he is eternal life. Say it another way. We need to be buried in eternal life. We need to be covered with eternal life, hidden in eternal life, filled with eternal life because he is eternal life. You see, eternal life dawns upon us, not because we follow all the rules, but because by our faith in him and what he's done on the cross, the spirit hides us in him. We're hidden in eternal life. We're swallowed up in life, aren't we? So the death that's on us is completely swallowed up by him, the eternal life. See, because following Jesus means that we are in him, the eternal life, and he is in us, the eternal life. You dwell in eternal life, and eternal life dwells in you. What joy there is in that. And people can often say, I don't hold to this kind of believing in holding to, to different beliefs. I'm not really religious. But I think if you're just a good person, you live a good life, then everything will be okay and you're, like, you'll be let into heaven. But the thing is, that is a doctrine in itself. That is a set of beliefs in itself. It's called the doctrine of works. That by your own efforts and right living, you're good enough to go to heaven. The thing is, we have the Bible and the Word of God and much evidence to base our belief on. That's just made up. Or it's based on a different faith, but it's certainly not in the Bible. The Bible never speaks of that. Maybe you hold to that belief today. Many other religions on the planet have a similar belief. Follow the rules. Follow the laws. You know, interestingly, many believe many people don't become Christians because they feel that they need to follow loads of laws and then live under a way where they feel they need to live right in order to to go to heaven when they die. See, Christianity says, you can't do it. You can't. You need a savior. The message of Christianity is, our works will never be enough, never be enough to merit eternal life. That your works will never be enough to merit him. See, the message of Christmas is that we are separated from God because of sin. And no amount of right living heals that wound. That we can't find our way back to him. But... At that first Christmas, because God the Father so loved the world, he sent his one and only son into the world. Why? To make a way back to him. To make a way. He sent the eternal life to earth. See, the eternal life came, lived the perfect life and died upon a cross. And upon the cross, God the Father poured out all his wrath, all his judgment for your sin upon God the Son so that now through Jesus through God the Son the eternal life through him we would be able to enter into everlasting life totally by grace Paul writes about salvation being not of works but of grace he writes so in Ephesians 2 8 to 9 and it says this for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves. So nothing you've ever done merits your salvation. It is a gift of God. Gifts got to be received. Not by works, so that no one would boast. So that no one would boast. 
Guys, what joy there is in Christmas when we see the promised son coming into the world. That salvation had come to mankind. Think of the gift that is. God didn't have to do that. See, think of what that means for you and your life. Let that joy bubble up. Don't let it become samey. Don't let it become a Christian phrase. Meditate on the magnitude of what that means. It causes great joy within me. Not of religious ecstasy, but of security, of stability, of no fear. It is an assurance that has transformed my life. My reality to share, to be open with you guys. My reality is I cannot die. I cannot die. My body may stop working, but I cannot die. You know, many Christians fear death, but death is the thing that Christ has defeated. See, I believe what Jesus said when he said this in John 11, 25 to 26. Jesus says this. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, the body, right? Even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, there is life upon this earth, which through following him, we can live in a way where we see this flourishing of joy, this flourishing of beauty, this fullness of life, this kingdom life and the kingdom coming through you and around you and it's awesome. But there's also this greater life, eternal life, life everlasting, where all the joys of this life and more are magnified. You'll often hear me say, eternity isn't sat like half naked wearing a toga or on a cloud for a million years. Sounds like hell. That's not, that's not heaven. But heaven is all the beauty that you, can even, that you can even imagine and more that you can't for eternity. What joy there is in that. See, my point is that my only two options are life. Life here, life everlasting. The guys in the arena who are about to die, they die with a smile on their face. Why? Because they understood that the only option is life. Either the lions don't eat them, or they're raised again to life on the earth from the dead, or immediately they're in eternal life with Jesus. But because they believe in Jesus, they would not perish, but would have everlasting life. It's awesome. It's amazing. They're the only two options, life or life. Not because I follow all the rules, not because I don't mess up, but because of Jesus Christ, my Lord, because I am hidden in eternal life, because my faith and my trust and my belief is in him. So you can either trust in yourself and a faith that maybe you just created. I kind of believe this. This is what's going to happen. And you know, many people do. Or join with many billions of people who over the centuries have held fast to the beauty and truth that causes an overflowing joy that life appeared. The light of the eternal life dawned upon the earth. The Son of God, Jesus. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have 
everlasting life. So it's free, but it's purchased at a very high price. The blood of God the Son. And it's available to you. It's available to everyone freely. It doesn't matter where you are at in life. It doesn't matter how much you messed up. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dirty or broken or unlovely you may feel today. Because salvation is by grace. It is by grace alone and it is through Christ alone. There is no other way. See, if you don't know him, come to him today. Come to him today freely. If you've walked away from him, come back to him. Let joy be made complete in you today. Believers, I encourage you, let joy rise in you at the life that you've been brought into. We can get used to it, can't we? Don't get used to it. Live in accordance with the joy and the truth that's been put upon you. See, don't let your joy be stolen. Don't let joy be stolen or, be tr- or, or don't let yourself get tricked into, into the thinking that the root of your joy is in anything else or anyone else but him. See, part of our church vision is to be family, isn't it? It's to be the harbour in this place. It's to be this community reflecting out that joy of God. We've got to get this, because otherwise people come to church, and you've heard this, people come to church and be like, they don't seem to have anything else. They don't seem to be any different from anyone else. But that's the thing. You've heard people say there's something different about you, that you're always happy, because people sometimes don't have the words. And it's when there is that joy, that wellspring of joy bubbling up from you, whatever the circumstance. So at Christmas, I loved the presents. But also, I don't know if you feel this, but it's also about having something to open. There's nothing, there's an email isn't what I mean. You know, there's something different about opening something with your hands. So even in this digital age, quite often my mum would say, James, I'm sorry I haven't sent you anything to open. Or, James, I've sent that because I just really want you guys to have a thing to open. There's something special about laying hands on a gift. So, because, you know, we're tactile creatures. We like to touch stuff. We like to feel and see and smell. And that's the marvel of Christmas that brings this incredible joy that God didn't just send an email with salvation in it. Right? God didn't just tell us through a prophet, because he could have. Tell us through a prophet, just believe in me. Okay? And well, I'm going to do this stuff. Right? I'm going to come to earth and we're going to, we're going to do all this. Okay? But actually that he came wanting to be known. He came, the Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't just come though as some, an aloof prince to come and pay the penalty for man's sin. He came as a baby in a stable. He came that our joy may be complete. This thing of God with us is so powerful, see? That when we get our heads around the fact of how much God wants to know us, that's got to cause a joy to swell in our hearts. So at Christmas, so that's the second point, God with us. At Christmas, we sing that song, OK? 
occasionally, joy to the world, right? How do those lyrics go? They go, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That God would be mindful of us. That he would come and dwell with us and be known to us. It's incredible. When you think of the beginningless God, the God who dwelled outside of time and space, comes and is condensed into the form of a baby. It's mind-boggling. It's incredible. The author of life, who we would have never known had he not written himself into the story of the world. Why does he do that? That we might know him. That's his desire. God so wants to have fellowship with you that he came. You've got to get that. That he wants to have fellowship with you. Let's read John 1, um, 1 to 4 again, with the, holding that in mind. Holding this thing of he's come, this tactile thing that we're holding and touching God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. It's just incredible. They're saying that they've touched God, they've held God, they've walked with God, they've loved God. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. That's incredible that in Genesis, everything that they're speaking about, everything that John writes about in 1 John, that the word was with God in the beginning, everything to do with the creation of the world is there. And they're laying hands on him, that they're touching him, that they're eating with him. It's incredible. See, we've seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. What's their fellowship? And our fellowship is with the Father. What? And with the Son, Jesus Christ. To those guys, that would have been incredible to hear in that Jewish context, that they have fellowship with God. What joy that they can now enter into that place of fellowship. We write this to make our joy complete, i.e. in that fellowship there is this beautiful and complete joy and the fullness and that completeness of joy comes when others are coming into that. Guys, it is that beautiful picture of Father, Son and Holy Spirit and man entering in to the, to the triune relationship with them. John here, he's using courtroom language. He's swearing, he's giving testimony to the proof that they're eyewitnesses to this. That, that he and others, that they've walked the walk, they've walked this walk with Jesus. That they've touched him, that they've heard him, that they've seen him. That they have lived and walked with God. That the word Jesus, okay, that Jesus, who was with the Father, has appeared to them. And John is inviting them to believe. 
and that through their belief they would have fellowship with them and with the Father and with the Son. What joy there is in that. This deepness of fellowship with Father God. See, that's massive that you can have a personal relationship with God. That you can have a personal relationship with God. You can have a personal relationship with the wellspring of joy. You can have a personal relationship with the wellspring of joy. There may be a slide on that. I'm not sure. I'm just going to blow my nose. getting all emotional. It's all the chilies I ate. Um, but guys, think of that. You, that you guys can have a personal relationship with God. And that means that you can have a personal relationship with the wellspring of joy. See, Christianity is exclusive in its claim to have a personal relationship with God. Many Eastern religions believe God's kind of like a force that you can merge with in some odd way. Um, that a personal relationship is impossible. Many, many other religions hold and hold that God is a person, but he's, he's far, he's, he's far, it's a far away God. Far too mighty, too godly to be bothered about having or needing or wanting a personal relationship with us. See, but the extraordinary claim of Christianity is that you can have a personal relationship with God. And more than that, in order to be able to have that relationship, you don't have to do a whole load of things and jump through a whole load of boxes and be holy and perfect so that you can come into the presence of God. No, God came to us. He came to us. He came down to our level to know you. Why? Because he desired to have a relationship with you. You could never get to him. So he came to you. Our prince came from his throne to the mire and muck of this world. People don't often think, looking at the nice clean nativity scenes, that actually there was probably a stank in that stable. There was probably a load of poo around in that stable and urine all over the straw. Imagine you don't get the 4D version of the nativity, do you? With the smell. He chose the throne room of heaven. Sorry, he didn't choose the throne room of heaven. He chose a stable. Why? So he could know you. So that he could be Emmanuel, God with us. Because he wants fellowship with you. He wants intimacy with you. Are you intimate with him? Not just kind of know him, but are you intimate with him? So John's saying in these verses that Christmas means that that same fellowship, that multidimensional intimate relationship that they were enjoying, where they're seeing and touching and living and walking every day with Jesus, you can now live. You can now share in. It's incredible. That as, as they knew him personally and walked with him personally and that their joy rose up in their hearts, make our joy complete. Come and join us in this because you can know him like that too. And it's the same for us today. 
See, knowing God personally and intimately is unique to Christianity. Nothing is, is as wondrous as the claim of Christianity that comes at Christmas. What joy, what incredible joy that we can know God personally and intimately. God became flesh in order to save you and to know you, that he'd have fellowship with you. Remember in Exodus 33, Moses says that he wants to see God's face. And God says, you can't, no one can look, up, look upon my face and live. But then through Christ, and we see it in the Old Testament, and we see it here in the New Testament too, through, through Jesus, we see the Father. He's the lens, in a sense. It's like when you look at the sun, you've got to have special lenses to look at the sun. He is the lens through which we see and perceive the glory of God. It's incredible. Wesley, in that famous hymn, he wrote, didn't he? He wrote, veiled in flesh, this is about the incarnation, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. He didn't say veiled in flesh, the Godhead hidden. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Why? Because God wants to be known to us. See, Christmas doesn't mean that we just have some kind of general knowledge about God. Uh, some, we get some ideas of who he is and he's a deity and we have some concept of God. Christmas means that we see God right there in front of us, that we see him and we touch him. That our Father who is in heaven, we have this amazing picture of really who he is. We get, because we see Christ, we get to see his love. We get to see his brilliance. We get to see the compassion of the Father. We get to see the humility of the Father. We get to see his wisdom and his strength and his courage and all the other things that we see in Christ that we can know God even more and that joy can rise in us and we have a relationship with that God. Not wondering, are you actually causing this calamity in my life? Because we see Christ, who would never bring calamity, but he came so that calamity could be poured on him to lead us into his peace and lead us into his joy. See, guys, they're not abstract concepts anymore because of Christmas. They're flesh and blood in Christ. We get to see the wondrous form of God. God come near to us and draw near to us and dwell with us because God became touchable. That should excite you, should cause joy to rise in you. That man who so longed to draw near to him and for hundreds and thousands of years can only do so under law and fear and under following all the things and sacrifice and approach him in those ways could now grasp hold of him and hug him. The fullness of God in flesh. See, Christmas causes joy to swell in our hearts when we see the enormous lengths that God went to so that he could have a relationship with us. In our foundation series, we did kind of last February, the first one we did in that was the foundation of the presence of God in our lives. And the big idea within that message was that God wants to be in our presence because so often we can think it's about us trying to get into his presence and that he stood off waiting for us to come near to him. He's waiting for us to invite him into relationship with us, for us to draw near to him. Hey, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. He wants to be in our presence. 
He went to outstanding lengths to dwell with you, to be knowable, to be touchable, to be able to be present with you. So guys, I encourage you, grasp this truth. A desire for the presence of God. It's the first value we've got as a church. If you don't have that, fan that into flame in your life. In fact, the seven pillars of the church are written around these, on these seven pillars, on these six pillars, and it's written somewhere else, I think, through the middle. Under there are the seven values of the church, and one of them is pursuing the presence. Christmas is about Emmanuel, about God with us. Each and every year we remember that, that he so loved us that he came to dwell with us. It's the beautiful love story between God and man, between you and God. There is a joy at Christmas because we remember God is with us. I'm going to go now just onto the last point, which is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy, buddy. Christmas means joy. That verse 4 in that first kind of core verse section we read in from 1 John 1, it ends with that idea of joy. That John is saying that their joy would not be complete until the people he's writing to had experienced this fellowship with God. Jesus tells of the joy that is to come as well. Jesus speaks about the joy for the believer that's to come, this fullness of joy, that, that this joy is a kind of joy that is an unshakable joy that's not based on circumstance, but it's based on something else. In John 16, 22, it says this, So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. See, he isn't speaking, though, to the believers about a joy in heaven, that when your body dies and you go into eternity, he's not speaking about that. He's saying to the disciples, they're going to have grief, because actually he's about to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to leave them. But then because of the cross, because the Spirit will come and dwell within them, that Christ will be resurrected from the dead, that, the de- that death would be defeated and swallowed up in life, that they would suddenly now be living in this new life of the people of the resurrection, in fellowship with him, living this completely different life rooted in him. Because of that, There is a joy that is coming to you that is never going to be taken away, that no one can take away, that no circumstance can take away. In John 17, 13, Jesus says this, I am coming to you now. It's his prayer to the Father and his prayer for us. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure of my joy within them. That is a joy for this life, not for eternity. See, Jesus' prayer for us is to be filled with a joy to the full measure. It is a deep stream of joy that is from Him. 
It's from him. It's not some random joy. What joy does Jesus pray that we would be filled with? His joy. That they would be fit, they would have full measure of my joy within them. My joy. My joy within them. That's significant. It's not just happiness. It's not just excitement. It's not an emotion that comes and goes with circumstance. One minute, like, things are good, and then the, mo- the next minute things are bad, and our emotions are going up and down, and our joy is based in our emotion, or it's based in the circumstance, and our joy is going all over the place. So many people, and I've done this too, even Christians, let the source of their joy come from their circumstances at the time. But there is a deep joy on offer that we only find in Christ. Because it is his joy poured out upon us. It is like when all around you seems so dark and everything's falling apart in that place. You're not looking around. But because of where you're rooted, this joy just bubbles up, this mirth just bubbles up, that the circumstance hasn't changed, but everything's changed, because you've remembered, actually, that you are rooted in the wellspring of joy himself. Is he the source of your joy? It's a joy that even the weary soul, you know, when we're, oh, man, there's that sudden laughter can burst forth. This, the, the burden that we're like, man, this is just nuts, it's too much. A sudden lightening of the burden and that mirth can just pour out. There's actually there's an old Arabic story about palm trees or saying that they like to have their head in the fire of the sun and their feet in the cool of the water. And if you stand next to a palm tree in the desert, and it's windy, and there's sand blowing in your face, and it's 40 degrees plus, it doesn't seem like anything can grow there. It seems like hell. It's hot and inhospitable and not nice. The circumstances seem harsh and tough, yet the palm tree thrives. The palm tree thrives, but it only thrives because it's rooted in the deep water that's below it. Often it's invisible. You can't see it. Because the palm tree knows. Sorry, because the palm tree is there, if you see it, you know that deep down there is a cool, refreshing stream. There is a cool place of water, a thirst-quenching water right below your feet. Psalm 1.3 says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose life, sorry, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Be rooted. See, because that is the place of fullness of joy, a place circumstance can't touch. It's the deep stream, the presence of God that you draw your life from, your joy of life from, from him. 
not from anything else. It will cause that joy to bubble out to fruit in your life to those around you. So you need to be planted deep that that fullness of joy would rise in you and bring a sweetness to the world around you. How many knows when you when you stop letting your joy come from him because then when you stop doing that circumstance will dictate your joy and you know then suddenly when things get bad bitterness will start coming out of your mouth and bitterness and it won't and actually your joy won't reflect him and it will reflect that 40 degree sandstorm that's around you. See, date palms produce dates. It's beautiful, sweet fruit. It's produced because the palms have their roots in the water and they go to feed many who are around them. They, the branches shade many who are around them. And that's what we're called to be as church, isn't it? Where are your roots? Where are you planted? What is the fruit of your joy? Christmas means joy because we can now be fully rooted in him. We can root our lives in him. We can have a personal relationship and a fellowship with God, which becomes the deep source of joy for our lives. Remember, it says in the Bible, he is the vine and we're the branches. If we're not connected to him, if we're cut off, then we just wither up and die because he's our source. So let the source of your joy be challenged today. Is it based on circumstances, your joy? Or do you have your roots deep down into his presence? Have you grasped and understood that the fullness of your joy comes from him that Christmas brings? This assurance of God's love over us, this bubbling up of mirth, let that happen in you. See, God intended that our joy would be full. He saved us freely. He desired fellowship with us without criteria. Just open arms, welcomed us in. You know, today he knows you better than you know yourself. And he chose to go to the cross for you, chose to come to earth for you, to die for you. Not a polished version of you, but you. So guys, as family and as harbour, as we enter 2020, let us be a community of joy that this place would be a spring of joy. That when people say, hey, where is, what, you guys are always so happy and there seems to be stuff going on in your life. Say, you know, my joy is rooted in him. That this would be that spring of joy, that each of us would be putting our roots deep down into him and his joy would be made complete in us. And our joy would be made complete as well as we see others come in and experience that same thing. Sarah and Christy, you guys are doing that. Worship team, come back up, please. Guys, we're gonna go into a response time now. Uh, and I feel, I felt was prepping, um, that I felt was prepping, there was a, a number of people just, that God wanted to do a thing now, just as we have this response time, just to let joy burst forth in our hearts, burst forth in our lives, this completeness of joy. And so, guys, I just want to say, if you feel like you've lost your joy, or you want more joy, or you want to know his joy deeper and deeper, just say, just ask him for that now. Just say, Holy Spirit, as we worship, as we respond, just pour your joy into me. 
I choose to root my life today in you. I choose to root my joy in you and in nothing else. Not in a circumstance, not, not even in a person, but you. And I want to give an opportunity for anyone here or who's listening to the podcast, an opportunity to say, I want to follow you, Jesus, today. So if that's you, just pray this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for coming that first Christmas. Thank you that you desire to know me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for paying for my sin. Forgive my sins, Lord. I forgive those who sinned against me. I choose to make you Lord of my life. I choose to follow you from this day forward. Lead me, Lord, in your name. Amen. Guys, if that would, it's just, everyone close your eyes. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, can you just pop your hand up in the air? If you're listening on the podcast and you prayed that prayer, please send a message in. You can send a message in through the, through the website. We'd love to connect with you encourage you, support you, connect you with the church. I'm just going to pray, then we're going to go into this response time. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you that you are the wellspring, God, of our joy. Lord, I pray that you lead us all on a journey to discover more and more and more and more and more of that fullness and what that means. Lord, that we could see and experience your joy flooding us, not negating the situation, not saying that we just got to pretend that doesn't exist, but that despite the situation, within the situation and in the midst of the situation and circumstance, that your joy would be made full in us, God. (laughs) Yes, God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just come now and fill this place and flood this place and just work in hearts today. Let joy rise in this place today. In each heart. Guys, just, I just encourage you, open your hearts to the Holy Spirit and just ask him to like that kind of picture, that, bub- that bubbling brook, just that let the joy of the Lord just swell in your heart. Meditate on the things we've spoken about. In your mighty name, God. Amen.